Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 123 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend, Toby. Hey. My brother, Andrew. Hi. And my beloved husband, Dylan. Hey. Is our sound recordist. So we're back now from vacation. We've released our first two episodes, and we're already getting some awesome responses. So we want to thank everybody who's listening. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, guys. <laughs> yeah, I think we should tell the listeners you know, the millions of listeners we have, that Andrew is not with us. Andrew does not live in Los Angeles, so he records from a different place. I'm alone here, so I'm just saying thank you to an empty room. This week, I am in Houston, Texas uh, for work. So coming at you live from the Spring Hill Suites. It sounds like um, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Where in the world is Andrew? Yeah, my life is much like Carmen Sandiego's. Uh, we just got back from our holiday vacation and our New Year's vacation. And guys, I have... I have something to report. What is it, Bailey? I think we might need a sound effect, um, something along the lines of like, ding, ding, shame. Oh, okay. Because I, I got some more books. Oh. Ooh, ding, ding, shame. <laughs> is that what you had in mind? How dare you? Um, all right. So my shame, I have to report, I have 14 new books to add to the list. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I didn't realize it was that high. I knew you got some. <laughs> Newsflash, guys, we're going to be doing this in the year 2062. So I I have to say that although in the beginning I said 123 unread books on my shelf, it's now 137 unread books on my shelf. Lying to the (laughs) listeners in episode three. Very rude. Does anybody else have any shame to report? Yeah, I got a couple. I got a couple books. Um, I think I got three or four over the holiday because uh, my wife is British and we every other year we go to England to spend time with her family and... I don't really have too much of a problem picking up books in the States, but then when I'm over there, I go a little crazy. I'm like, yeah, I'm on vacation. What did we get? We got a Terry Pratchett, a Discworld book. Um, I got this enormous Ken Follett book, and we got a couple more. I got, I think I got a P.G. Woodhouse collection. You're into Ken Follett recently. Yeah, I read um, I read one of his, the Century Trilogy. I read the first one last year, and I'm reading the second one now. It's like a thousand pages, and it's like sexy people do sexy things in World War II. It's fun. Andrew, do you have any shame? Um, my shame emanates specifically from your husband, Dylan, because for Christmas I received um, a book called Bolshoi Confidential, Secrets of the Russian Ballet from the Rule of the Czars to Today by Simon Morrison, which I'm very excited to read. But that's the only um, addition I have to my to-read list from the holiday period. I, I just want to say I think it's every wife's dream to hear the phrase from their brother, my shame emanates from your husband. <laughs> Oh, no. Get used to hearing that, Bill. Well, Toby, I noticed that you added Les Miserables to your to-read list. I'm taking that off unless it gets picked. <laughs> unless it gets picked this week, I I'm not gonna lie, listeners. Like I'm going to edit my list as as, <laughs> as I see fit, and that was put in in a in a fit of enthusiasm that has since uh, abated. You see, Toby is. Uh the renegade of the group. That's right. He doesn't have a traditional shelf. He does it his way. Uh, One other thing I wanted to mention in terms of feedback, we got a lot of feedback from listeners that were shocked and horrified to learn that I had not finished Pride and Prejudice. And I feel like I need to address those people. What? (laughs) Dylan just flipped the table over. Yeah, Dylan is an unprofessional. I just want to clarify that before I read the book, I had seen many adaptations and I knew the story backwards and forwards. I got to the part where a certain person confesses his love. I'm not going to say who to not spoil it. We don't do spoilers here on this podcast. And at that point, I was like, okay, I know how this ends. And I just got into schoolwork and I put it down. But it's not that I didn't like it and I'm so sorry and I hope it gets picked soon. I 
don't forgive you. <laughs> yeah, sometimes uh, saying you're sorry isn't enough. Yeah. And that's kind of what Pride and Prejudice is about, isn't it? No, that's not what Pride no, and Prejudice is about. No, not in any way. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read it, and I know it's not about that. Um, I did think, actually, of something to report, and it is Extra Shame, which is that uh, one of the books that was on my list that I was really excited about that I put on as candy, I kind of forgot was on my list, and I read it. So, yeah, I think we should talk about this, because I am at a point where there are things I want to read, but I feel like I have to wait for them to be chosen. So Not if you're the rebel of the group. <laughs> but I'm the rule abider of the group. Hell yeah. Oh, Pally. I really want to read this book that Andrew got me called Sadie, which is like a true crime young adult thing, but I can't read it. I have to wait. Well, I didn't. Um, it was called Mistborn, and it was really good, um, but I replaced it with a very similar-ish book. Um, Mistborn is by Brandon Sanderson, and I replaced it with book one of the Wheel of Time series, which is a very, very famous um, hardcore fantasy series mm-hmm. that a guy named Robert Jordan started. I think there's like 14 books in the series, and he died before he could finish it, and it was a big to-do over who would finish it, and Brandon Sanderson is the guy who finished it. So that was my connection. And I'm actually equally excited, if not more excited, about um, reading that. But that's, yes, shame. I felt extremely ashamed when I was like three quarters of the way through the book and I like double checked the list and I was like, oh no. Well, maybe I'll just read the book I want to read and then just report it as shame, even though I'm not ashamed. That would be breaking a rule, Bailey. Nah, I don't think you're going to do that. I can see it in your eyes. You lack the conviction. So this week, Andrew has his first book on the podcast. I just want to reiterate for those of you still tuning in, how it's going to work is that every episode, I will review one of my books from my shelf and Toby and Andrew will switch off on who reviews. And on the week that you're not reviewing a book, so when Toby and I are switching off, uh, the other one will bring in like some supplementary research or some cool facts they find. You never know. Yeah, they'll surprise us. Yes, I had a great time researching history of wolves. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. All right. So, Andrew, your first book was da 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 da. Oh, what am I supposed to say it? Yeah. It was Catch Twenty Two. <laughs> also, people already know that. <laughs> I mean, it's in the title of the podcast. We might have a new listener. We might have someone who just stabs at their iPhone with their finger. <laughs> So, Andrew, tell us about Catch-22 by Joseph Heller. So, yeah, I read Catch-22 by Joseph Heller. Um, it was a book I was excited about because it falls into the category of sort of a classic book that I'd always meant to read. Catch-22 is a did not finish for me. <gasps> Sorry, didn't mean to steal your thunder, Andrew. What? But, it was, but it's Dylan's favorite book of all. I'm interested to hear what you think later, Toby, because I'm curious as to why you didn't finish it. But I think it deserves to be said. I want to focus in my review more on the things I liked about the book and what I found really interesting. I don't think that Catch-22 is necessarily a book that is going to continue to be considered a classic or continue to be read widely. Widely. Ooh. I know I love to read books wildly. (laughs) Dancing around the room. Buck naked. (laughs) And I, I don't mean this as any sort of dig at the quality of writing or anything like that. And again, I'm going to get into what I liked about it later. But it's not necessarily a book that reading it in 2019 is a super comfortable read, um, specifically because of how it treats the female characters in it, who are almost exclusively sort of sex objects without a lot of agency. And there are some exceptions, but even when there are exceptions, there sort of finds a way to bring up their sexuality in a way that's 
kind of icky. And I kind of want to leave it there in terms of that critique because I could go into it and get bogged down in it, but I don't want to focus on that for the review. All I'll say is I don't think that people will continue reading this in high school. Wow, that's a bold prediction. Are there a lot of female characters? Because my understanding is maybe you can talk about what the book is about, but that it takes place in, in war. It's mostly like World War II or? It takes place in World War II, um, specifically focusing on a squadron of um, pilots and bombers um, that are stationed in Italy. It seems to be more mostly towards the tail end of the uh, campaign when they're more um, running out the days that Germany is still going to be fighting the war versus like the very beginning. And it uh, are almost all American characters. So who are the female characters then? Uh, The female characters in the book are pretty much exclusively either the nurses who work at the base or sex workers in Rome. Um, And the way the book treats them with their descriptors is not very kind and pretty dismissive, I found. So that's sort of where my hesitancy in the book comes from. So putting that aside, because I don't want it to bog down the rest of the conversation, the book is amazingly written. It does something that uh, not a lot of books I've ever read have accomplished, which is that the entire time I wove through the paragraphs, it like had me on a line in a way, because things that are happening are so strange and the sentences sometimes strike you as so absurd that you're like, he must have made a mistake. And then half a paragraph later, the reason you thought he made a mistake is made completely clear. And he's like, gotcha. That sounds incredible. One of the like joys of reading the book was when he would go on and sort of these run on sentences for paragraph after paragraph after paragraph and then hit you with the last line of a sentence which was like four a four word sentence that made everything stand still all of a sudden in that way i really loved a lot of the experience of reading this book yeah you're making me want to read it so sort of the structure of the book is that it follows a central character named yosarian who is sort of a reluctant soldier. He's a a bombardier in the squadron. He's flown way more missions than he needs to, to have like done his fair share. And he's sort of trying to find ways to get out of Italy alive without sort of losing himself. But it follows this sort of rich tapestry of the characters around him. And that's how it's structured. They're reasonably short chapters. Each are titled with a character's name. And it follows like a very specific part of that character's characterization or something that they've done in their day, which then tends to reveal more about sort of Yosarian's story. Hmm. Cool. Can you talk about, or is it a spoiler to explain like what the term Catch-22 means in the novel? Because that's where the phrase came from, right? From the book? So a Catch-22 is sort of an impossible situation. Um, It's when two forces cancel each other out or are intractable in a way that they can never be uh, disentangled. So in this situation is that Yosarian doesn't want to fly any more missions. And to do so, he starts behaving in a way that most people would describe as crazy um, to get the doctor to, to sanction him no longer flying missions. Uh, because he also, when he goes to the doctor, asks to not have to fly any more missions. That means that he's sane enough to continue to fly missions because that self-preservation that comes out of that proves that you're still sane, if that makes any sense. And a lot of the other stories all involve characters in sort of the impossible situations of their own. Sounds like a simple thing to explain. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That definitely, listeners, wasn't the eighth take of me trying to explain what a Catch-22 was. (laughs) I was saying earlier, I was like, man, I'm glad I didn't get this book. (laughs) Tree grows in Brooklyn. It's a tree. It's poverty. You got it. Andrew, so why is it why the name Catch-22? Is that something to do with... Specifically in the book, it 
refers to uh, like a logline in a rule book. I may be able to jump in here with a fun fact. Fun fact. Ooh, fun fact. Um, and I. Cash 22 is something that he arrived at after multiple tries. The original title of the story, which was published in a magazine called New World Writing. Anyone want to take a guess? I'll give you I'll give you some hints. Mm-hmm. It's still a two-digit number, and I'll tell you it's under 50. It's still it was catch something. So what do you think? 15. Catch 48. Wrong, wrong. You're kicked off the podcast. Uh, it was catch 18. Oh, wow. I was close. Mm. Catch 22 is better. Yeah, well, he went through a couple more. That one was uh, his his publisher said, oh, there's another novel called Mila 18, which we've all heard of, of course. He went to catch 11, which was deemed too similar to the contemporary film, believe it or not, Ocean's 11, uh, followed by Catch 17, which was too similar to Billy Wilder, the famous screenwriter's movie, Stalag 17, and then Catch 14, which Heller's publisher thought wasn't funny enough. I bet at some point he was just like, dude, can you just give me a list of numbers I can use at this point? Absolutely. I like that they're all, I mean, 22 is the highest one. They were all 22 and under, so he just kept going around. Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt, Andrew, but it was too too uh, convenient. No, that was too legit. That was too legit to quit the moment of not saying it. I think we can stop the podcast right there, guys. Put down your headphones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've said all that can be said about books. But yeah, so I really enjoyed reading this book. It was um, somewhat marred by the, the thing I led my review with, but it was definitely an experience reading and... Uh, sort of an immersive experience I don't often get in reading a book, so I can recommend it for that. Okay. Nice. Um, I will jump in to all the people who are going to shame me. Um, I did not finish it because I read it at the same time it became Dylan's favorite book uh, when we were like 13, and uh, Dylan read it and loved it, and we were uh, best friends at the time. No longer. Uh, um, <laughs> but uh, So he read it and loved it, and I was like, well, I like books, so I'm going to try it, and I did not like it at all. That's the worst when someone gives you a book, and they're like, it's my favorite book, and then you read it, and you're like, oh, He no. didn't even give it to me. He just It was literally a competition thing. I was like, I'm smart as Dylan. <laughs> this is a smart person's book. Oh, it's too smart for me. <laughs> I do want to stress that there was so much about this book that I liked. Um, and I think no, it's we about got it. You're too, you're too woke for Cash 22. We got it. <laughs> uh, so I just, I, I, I want to stress that. Um, it is a book I enjoyed. There's so much that you can get out of it. But I think it's interesting to view it um, from the prism of 2019 and uh, seeing how things have changed. So if you don't like women, you will like Catch-22. Got it. (laughs) This is specifically what I'm trying to avoid, the conclusion being. (laughs) Rebel of the podcast. So, Andrew, at the end of the day, how many stars, and would you keep it on your shelf? Ooh. Um, What a fun little wrinkle. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think I would give it three stars. Three and a half is more what I'm leaning to, but I know we're using the Goodreads scale, which doesn't allow for halves. No half stars on Goodreads. Three and a half? I'm shocked. I thought you would give it at least four. Yeah, no, I'm conflicted about the rating, and, you know, wake me up on a different day and ask me what the rating would be. It could be a four. I just, um... Andrew, Andrew, wake up! Oh, oh, it's a two. Oh, wow, that's a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) How did you get here, Bailey? You live on the other side of the country. Um, But yeah, so it's tough for me to rate. It's very solidly a three and a half in my head um, and I'm going to round down in this situation because I was off, uh, put off by that. All right. All right. And and would you keep it on your shelf or would you chuck it, chuck it at a person? Um, yeah, no, I would keep it on my shelf. I think it's 
worth maybe a revisit later. And again, there were elements that I really enjoyed. I do feel I don't. Okay, Toby made fun of me in, in the first episode for this, but I do feel sometimes that classics I should keep them for my future children. It's like, or if somebody coming in, staying at my house, and be like, oh, I've always wanted to read Catch Twenty Two and to pick it up. But then it's like, I'm not a library. I probably shouldn't do that. Marie Kondo would be horrified. Andrew, can you talk about the cover of the book? It's pretty much a blue background with a white border. Um, the only pop of color is there is a red figure who looks sort of like a dancing soldier. But you can't tell if he's dancing or running away. But yeah, honestly, it's just... Oh, I. I've seen this cover so many times, I honestly didn't give it a second thought. Toby, did you have any fun facts about the book? Yes. So fun facts about Catch-22. Um, there are just as many fun facts about Catch-22 as there are about History of Wolves. Which is not a lot. No, there's a ton. <laughs> so we'll go with this one. Heller was working as an advertising copywriter when he had the idea for the novel. He blew off working for the day to write the first chapter um, by hand. So he, he sent in the chapter to New World Writing Magazine um, through his agent, and uh, he waited a full year before he wrote the second chapter of the book. Oh, cool. That's uh, actually kind of similar to my book, but we'll get into that. Uh, don't uh, spoil one of the only facts I have about your book, please. <laughs> Wait, Toby, how did he have an agent if he just decided all of a sudden to start writing? It's probably easier to get an agent in the day. It's like, I got a book. I'm a white man. <laughs> hey, yo. Another fun fact. People have debated um, the protagonist's ethnic background um, because he introduces Yossarian as an Assyrian, uh, despite the fact that, you know, his last name suggests that he might not be Assyrian. People were very curious to, um, to know if, um, because Heller was Jewish, they wanted to know if Yossarian uh, was Jewish, but he stated explicitly that Yossarian isn't Jewish and was not intended to be. On the other hand, no effort was expended to make him anything else. That's so strange. Like, why, being, why would he be, like, not Jewish? I don't know. I mean, the book doesn't really deal with the realities of the Holocaust in any way. He wanted to make it more of a general um, foray into the experience of what a soldier goes through without it being specific to a certain person. It might make sense. So there was a movie that came out of Cash 22. Did you guys know that? Yes. Yeah. Dylan, didn't ask you. I'm just kidding. Dylan, of course Dylan knew. You knew that, Andrew? I did know that. I, I knew it because I looked it up before oh. the recording the podcast. Guys, I'm the fact guy. This the, I know, but I don't want to come in like blind. You're supposed to come in. That's the whole thing is your reaction is part of... Man, you guys did a bunch of research. <laughs> All right. I quit. No, 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 no. Sorry. I mean, it's also a, a reasonably famous movie. Anyway. Anyway, go ahead. So, apparently there was a 1970s movie. Didn't go over too well. Um, kind of forgettable. Um, but in 1973, CBS uh, created a sitcom pilot of Catch-22. They wanted to turn it into a sitcom. Uh, can you guys guess who the who played Yasarian? Dylan looks like he knows. Well, Dylan doesn't have a microphone. Can you? Can anyone with a microphone? Frank Sinatra. No. <laughs> uh, Al Pacino. That would have been amazing. Uh, no, it was Richard Dreyfuss. Uh, Do you want a really cool fact about the movie? Yes. You know the Simon and Garfunkel song, um, Only Living Boy in New York? Yes. Yeah, it's a great song. When he says, uh, get your plane on, right on time, mm-hmm. he's actually singing about Art Garfunkel going down to Mexico to go film the movie about catching two and about planes. I'd say that fact was somewhat fun. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty fun. All right, I so I feel like my research has been thoroughly roasted. <laughs> um, and All right, so that's what I have. That's my research. 
feel like people didn't do a bunch of extra research on, uh, on tree, calls and tree grows in Brooklyn. I did research on tree grows in Brooklyn, butthead. I know you were supposed to. But I said it was in the World War II people's pockets. Did well, you research that I too? I researched that. Really? What the hell? What the heck? Well, that's awesome. Thank you for your review, Andrew. <laughs> Catch-22 by Joseph Heller. Three stars. Three stars. Good wow. reads. All right, so my book this week was History of Wolves by Emily Fridland. This book uh, came out very recently, I think 2017. Let me just confirm that before I say the wrong thing. Yes. 2017. Okay. This book came out in 2017 and it was nominated for the Man Booker Prize in and 2017. 50% of my facts gone. <laughs> Toby, it's on the cover. I know. There is no, there are no facts about this woman or this book. I'm sorry. I totally interrupted. Let's <laughs> start it again. It won the Man Booker Prize and no. Nope. Shortlisted. It was shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize in 2017. And that's how I heard about it. I went through a list of all of the shortlisted novels and I thought this one sounded interesting. So I added it to my to read list. I have a hard time not buying really hyped up books. And so this one was really hyped up in my head and I thought, oh my God, I have to have it. And it's hard to describe without giving away what it's about. Um, So I'm going to do it in the best way that I can. It is a story about a teenage protagonist living in Minnesota. And she is dealing with the revelation that her teacher was arrested for having child pornography at the same time that she starts babysitting um, for this couple across the lake that comes from a sort of a higher class background and there seems like there's something strange about the son. And it starts off on page one telling you that the son dies. So you know that. So you know something strange is going to happen, but you're not sure what exactly. The book is very enigmatic. The plots come in and out. There's a lot going on at once. It really doesn't want to give you a conclusive ending, certainly, but a conclusive interpretation of a lot of the things that are happening. Kind of like what you're describing with Cat 22, you might have to read things a few times to understand what's happening, what's going on. But I'm drawn to that really dark subject matter. So that's why I really wanted to pick up the book and read it. And one thing that I really loved about the book were the themes. There were really provocative themes, particularly about action versus inaction in the face of evil. So what do you do if you see something that looks wrong? especially if you're a teenager, how do you react, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Can't go too into it because it would give stuff away. It also, um, I hope this isn't one of your facts, Toby, but she does takes a lot of inspiration from the governess genre, like Taming of the Shrew and Jane Eyre. And it's the protagonist is this governess coming into this family and discovering these dark secrets. And then another thing that I really loved about it and what I think is most heralded about the book is the setting. It's beautifully described. At the end of my book, the copy I have, there's an interview with Emily Fridland, which is maybe why I have more information than you do, Toby. Is this the same interview that you have? No, that is literally not available online. Well, she describes um, writing about the setting and she says... I had fun making a little map of the lakes and roads that surround Loose River, but it was important to me to draw a fairly tight circle around Linda's world, Linda's the protagonist, in order that the punctures to its borders, Mr. Grierson and the gardeners, the two characters, would mean something fairly extraordinary to her. So she measures things in miles by foot or lakes by paddle, and the world for most of her life consists of woods, old highways, one small town and one bigger one, a handful of shops and and churches, school. It is a community in which a lot is assumed and a little is asked. And I really liked that because coming from a small village in Maine, even talks about hockey boys at her school, um, Mm. the teenage protagonists and how they're like football stars. And that's very much what I experienced growing up. In Maine. 
in Maine. Now, the team was bad when I was in high school, so it wasn't as big a deal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Bailey still thinks it's cool. I still think it's cool. I think that this is not a perfect novel. I'll get into what my review is, but it's her debut novel, so I think it shows a lot of potential for what she'll write in the future. She's an excellent writer. Here's another sentence, just a character description on page 157. He was kind to objects with people he was a little afraid. I just thought it was an excellent way to describe somebody. I just want to interject that Bailey has marked um, the specific things she wants to talk about in this book with sticky notes that are in the shape of cats. That's correct. Another description on page 112. Um, Though half the time that summer that ATV didn't work at all, half the time it did. And for 10 minutes that afternoon, I sat behind him on the hard leather seat as we rumbled along the overgrown trail, destroying everything we touched, smashing ferns and goldenrod and baby white pine and sumac fronds. And it was wretched. And it was so delicious, too. I'm I'm looking forward to reading her next book. With that said, this was only three stars for me. Oh, wowie wow. Whoa. Three star. This is a three star episode. Three star um, central. I think. I think that's uh, like we could establish like a little bit of a trend when we call it three. You know, when we come together on a, on two reviews, three star central. Trains pulling in. <laughs> um, it has a lot going for it, but it just doesn't stick the landing. There's too many plots going on at once. I got a little frustrated that it was so open ended. That's interesting because one of the one of the reviews that I read that really praised it. Uh, they read a lot of YA and they did not care for the fat, the way that a lot of YA is very definitive in its endings. Mm-hmm. Right, the, the whereas, big climax at the prom or whatever. Whereas this book they praised for being the anti-standard. The, they said the protagonist ends up more confused than they were at the beginning. That's true. There's, there's no clear answers. Um, I hope that's not a spoiler. Toby, that beautifully leads to my question for the group. You're welcome. (laughs) Which is, what makes a coming-of-age novel? Because this has been classified as young adult or coming-of-age, but when I'm reading it, it feels very literary to me, and I wonder, what is a coming-of-age novel and what isn't? Uh, Does it just have a young protagonist? I think, uh, to me, a a coming-of-age novel is, yeah, young has to be, you know, a fairly young protagonist. I think there's, I've read some that, you know, delayed adolescence, sometimes coming-of-age can happen in your 20s or even 30s, depending on what the protagonist is doing. To me, coming-of-age is like a, a moving from a state of being naive about something to being at least a little bit more informed about it. I don't tend to love those novels either, where it's like, I was one way and now I'm another, because that rarely feels like it is in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do like novels that are a little bit more general, a little bit more ambiguous, like, I struggle with this thing, and now I struggle with it 10% less. In the case of this novel, it switches perspectives between Linda as 14, 15-year-old to Linda as an adult, and sort mm-hmm. of Linda looking back on herself and realizing how pivotal these moments were for her. I wondered if that makes it uh, coming of age or not. I don't know. Well, it's interesting you use the word pivot because that's sort of how I define a coming of age is some attempt to describe or encapsulate that pivot from the simpler world of a child to the open and scarier world of the possibility of adulthood. That's better than mine. I I love that. I mean, that makes sense because one of the most famous coming-of-age novels is Catcher in the Rye, and the central metaphor of Catcher in the Rye is catching them before they become adults, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's a really beautiful description, both of you guys. Thank you. Mm, You're welcome. So again, I I would say, for me, this is a three-star book. It's more mood and tone than plot, and in order for it to be four or five, it has to get all of those for me. Yeah. 
but good characters. I wouldn't, if the subject matter interests you, I would say read it. But in terms of should I keep it on my shelf, maybe it's a good one that I should donate to the library. Oof. That seems like maybe you are not recommending it to people. It's more like, yeah, would I read this again? Probably not. What about the cover? What do you think? Oh, thanks, Toby. Time to judge a book by its cover. Oh, wow. Oh, that was we? great. Um, first of all, I really like the font. The font makes me think of like, I don't know, it's like dark but quirky. It looks like the lore font. Yes, it looks like the show Lore. Not to name drop a much more popular podcast. I'm Aaron Mankey. <laughs> <laughs> the cover is white and it just says History of Wolves, very big, and then it has some darker, I was going to say birch trees, but clearly they're not because birch are white. I don't know what kind of trees those are. Birch can be a number of different colors, actually. <laughs> I like this. I mean, not that anybody asked me, but I like this cover okay. But I'm kind of wary when it says finalist for man brooker and national bestseller on the cover sometimes with shows or with books the more they advertise for it the worse it is yeah for me history of wills by emily fridland three stars but toby do you have any facts honestly no i have i have one fact so this is her debut novel. Um, I think that the critical reception was pretty much in line with Bailey. Um, people thought it was very promising, um, but yeah, something about it didn't quite meet their standards. That's right. I'm a critic. <laughs> I think we all are now, according <laughs> to this podcast. It actually, it's interesting because it ties in with Catch-22, which is that um, this was originally a short story. The first chapter was. So, really? <laughs> sorry, I'm going to... I literally have one... <laughs> sorry, sorry. Sorry, I'm, you go ahead. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Uh, the first chapter uh, of this book, uh, just like Catch-22, um, it was a short story originally. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, it was submitted um, to and won the McGinnis Ritchie Award. It was an award uh, given out by the Southwest Review. That's my favorite review. I have a fact, but I'm afraid to say it. Can I? But you, go ahead. She learned How dare you? <laughs> She learned that she was nominated for the Man Booker while she was giving birth to her baby. Wow, that is an amazing fun fact. Whose name Where is Man Booker? <laughs> Where'd you find that? I just went on Goodreads and looked through the reviews, and people were posting articles. And stuff. I didn't. I didn't do Goodreads. I just like Googled it. Why wouldn't that be like the top article? I don't know. Um, I it, this isn't a fact, Toby. Oh, don't God, worry. It's just fantasy. Um, and I cleared this with Bailey ahead of time, but I had so much fun making up that game during the last podcast I made up a game for this book yay games yes do you guys want to play no sorry just um, just throw it in the trash <laughs> the name of the game is four word wolves Ooh. so I made a list of famous people or things that have wolf or wolves in the name and I found it I made up a descriptor of them in four words or less and I thought I would say them, and you guys can guess, and whoever gets them first can guess, and whoever gets the most right of the five I have wins. I'll start you off with an easy one. The Situation Room. Wolf Blitzer? No. Toby just physically moved my mic away. <laughs> Still one point for Toby there. All right. Bonfire of the Vanities. Tom, Tom Wolf. Wolf. That's still Toby's. Toby's up to two now. You! Almost there. But that was very close. All right. Technically, Toby can win if he gets the next one correct. However, I'm still going to use all five. No. I know this. All right. White House Correspondence Dinner. I'm Michelle Wolf. Yep. That's one for Bailey. <laughs> all right. Here's number four. Salieri. 
Mozart. What's no. Mozart's full name? Wolfgang Amadeus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the back of Bailey's fact. I'm still going to give that point to Bailey. Because... She did say Mozart first, and that's sort of otherwise. <laughs> Toby, you just can't win today. <sighs> All right, but no, there's one more. There's one more. That you guys are both at two. It's better that you're both at two, because then it comes down to this. All right. Here's the last one. Margot, Leo, Matthew, Jonah. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Toby gets the win. <sighs> Boom. Good one. Oh, I good kept one. thinking of books. But that's, yeah. That's not what this podcast is about. Yeah, if you came here for book content, you get out. <laughs> I hope you guys had fun playing Four Word Wolves. I love that. That was great. I also like forward wolves, like <laughs> onward. <laughs> Won't it be great if Bailey never wins? Andrew, I think that should be our, <laughs> our mission. Hashtag Bailey never wins. <laughs> hashtag Bailey never uh, Followers of uh, the two read list on, on Twitter. Hashtag Bailey never wins. <laughs> All right. Now is the moment. Forward wolves. The choosing. The choosing. Can I just say I'm really excited about this? Um, I had a lot of nerves about the first one, and I feel like Catch-22 was like a good lead-in because it was a classic one that wasn't too weird. But now that I've got, gotten that first one out of the way, I'm like totally ready for it to be weird. It could be something real strange. I still don't want number two to come up because that's the anatomy of melancholy. But other than that, I think I'm ready for anything. Well, Andrew, it's a good thing you mentioned that you want it to be strange because... Oh, actually, I was going to drum roll on the table. That'd be really dumb. Yeah, that's, don't do that. That. Yeah, that'd be awful. Don't do that. So, the picks were for my random number generator. Bailey will be reading... Wait, no, no. Do Andrew first. <sighs> Fine. Andrew <laughs> will be reading number 46. Let the Great World Spin Ooh. by Colin McCann. Let the Great World Spin. Oh, that's not weird. That's a normal one. Hey, uh, give me a second. I did not finish this book. <laughs> Hashtag bad book. Overrated. Andrew, how do you feel about that choice? I feel good about it. I feel like it's a pretty normal book to come off the list. When you said the lead-in about good thing you think it's weird, I thought it was going to be one of my like strange books about the history of ballet or something. Well... That brings me to Bailey's number 52, because as Andrew was saying, he wishes that it wasn't strange. Oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. I know what it is. Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark. Oh my God. That's, I can't believe you picked a book, literally like one of the books I've disliked most. That's not true. The Great World Spin is just boring and lame. But um, <laughs> Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell is sublime. It's amazing. It's like, it's one of the best in the genre, top three books of all time. I'm so excited for you to read it. Top bit. three of all time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Toby, since could you go grab it from my shelf? Do Wait, you see Bailey, where it is? So, how do you feel about that book, though? Because that is crazy long. Here's the thing. I think it it is long, but my understanding is, Toby, it's on the left of the shelf, third, third down, third up, go up. There you go. You can't see, but my fingers are moving in like a what's it called? Spirit fingers. I was gonna say, gimme, 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 gimme. Okay. Oh, no. I just saw one of the last words of the book, but it's okay. All right. Was it butt? <laughs> and Mr. Strange's butt fell off. <laughs> the end. Um, Spoilers. It is 782 pages. 
However, my understanding is, and by Toby's reaction, I think this is true, is that it's a really quick read and it's it's fantasy, right? It's more like Harry Potter fun and less like dense. It's not Harry Potter fun. It's certainly fun. It's it's amazing, but it's like more literary and more. I love Harry Potter. Don't get me wrong, but this is. I truly think it takes genre expectations and puts them. F- so far like it's it's as well written i just love it so much it's hard to even talk about it cool yeah i am super excited for this toby um for the next episode how is your book going writing down the bones i have not started it it's not very long yeah it's no jonathan strange or mr normal yeah yet another example of toby living on the edge (laughs) (laughs) that's right i don't read the books that i have to read for my reading books podcast what a crazy life i'm living all right so tune in in two weeks to hear us talking about writing down the bones and jonathan strange and mr norrell Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram at the To Read List podcast and on Twitter at To Read List pod. And if you've liked the podcast, please leave us a review and a rating. Um, Five stars if you want, but, you know, whatever you feel. (laughs) Yeah, three stars maybe after this one. Uh, And please, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, tell a friend. We uh, do not nearly have any budget for uh, advertising, and uh, we love doing the podcast, but we'd like a lot of people to listen to it. So tell your friends if you enjoy it and uh, you think they'd enjoy it. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for being our sound recordist, and to Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you next week. Happy reading. Books, 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 books.